What's the most important resource that you have? If you really thought about this deeply, I think you'd come to the same conclusion that Joey and I did. It's time. In our newest book, Wealth Without Wall Street, The Three Steps to Financial Freedom Through Passive Income, we talk about how are we tracking that time? Well, what is the thing that we can do to get more of that time back? That's right. If you've ever been listening to our podcast and thought, man, it would be amazing if I could take all the things that you guys have learned over the last 10 years and just summarize them, put them in some way to easily digest them and take action, that's what this book is all about. You're not going to want to miss it. Go to wealthwithoutwallstreet.com forward slash new book and get your copy today. All right, you're about to listen to episode number three in our 18-part series on the Becoming Your Own Banker. I think it's so important for this episode right now. For you're gonna, we're living in 2023 in a shared economy where nobody owns anything. They, they're borrowing, they're sharing in other people's items. But I think it's so important that we learn from this episode why we need to all be owner of the things that we're consuming. I know that you're going to take some major uh, points away from this. I can't wait for you to hear it. Let's jump in right now to episode three of our 18-part series on becoming your own baker. Welcome to the Wealth Without Wall Street podcast, your guide to understanding how to get out of the Wall Street rat race and start your own mailbox money lifestyle. Now, don't let these handsome Southern draws fool you. These financial minds are teaching our country to enhance savings, increase cash flow, and create passive income, all without the help of Wall Street. Are you ready to break through? Now here are your hosts, Russ Morgan and Joey Murray. Welcome. This is the Wealth Without Wall Street podcast. Your host, Joey, the Italian stallion Murray, joined as always by Russ, the idea guy, Morgan Russ, we are continuing our conversation on Becoming Your Own Banker, book review, part three. This is the iconic story of the grocery store example. How many lessons can we possibly pull from the grocery store example? There's a bunch. And Countless. Th- yeah, this this actual example Nelson talks about in the book is when you are the consumer and the seller of an idea, product, or process. And speaking of that, at our household, we got to learn a little lesson the other day, too. Uh, okay. Yeah. That doesn't sound good. Yeah. I mean, we're all consumers of haircuts. Yeah, sure. Well, well, Ryan found, my six-year-old found a pair of scissors laying around the house and decided to also be the distributor of the haircut. Oh, he's becoming his own barber. (laughs) He's became his own barber. (laughs) Now, don't worry. It wasn't um, a place that he cut, you know, kind of one of those more inconspicuous areas, like the middle of his forehead. Oh, right there, front and center. Dead center, right? And a lot of times it happens like right before Christmas, right before Easter, when a kid does that to themselves. We're like, ah, no big deal. We'll buzz cut his hair tomorrow. We don't have anything going. Oh, that's right. We've got the graduation party for our nephew. Sure, we'll be taking pictures. Oh. Yeah, there'll be a big gap like he took a you know nine iron off the front of his head. <laughs> I mean, it, is, it was just brutal. It was Man. like... You cannot leave scissors around a six-year-old. Yeah, this is this is a lesson learned for sure. But today we'll we'll dive into other ways that we can also be a consumer and a seller of the same thing, and how does that impact us? So the grocery store is one of those. Well, okay. So case in point, just full disclosure: when I first read this, I did not connect it. Okay, one never wanted to open my own grocery store. 
I don't know about you. I just, I like eating groceries, <laughs> but I never thought, hey, you know, I should have a grocery store. So I had a hard time connecting this initially, but I do know that I, I resonate with, I want my business to be successful, right? And so there are definitely lessons in here about how to make a business more successful by how you operate it. To me, this is something, if you have kids, sit down and read the grocery store with your kids. There's so many opportunities for personal finance nuggets that come out of this two pages, pages 15 and 16 in Nelson Nash's book, because that's the, the, the thing that most of us don't think about is like, oh, I can just, if I own it, then I get to use it for free. Right. That's the absolute a normal thing everybody always thinks. Oh, I, it was one of those areas where, you know, hey, I've got a business. I'm going to, you know, my wife had a dental practice. I'm going to use this dental practice as much as I can because we own it. Right. Don't I deserve that? Isn't that that's kind of like the deserving mentality. It's my business, so I can do what I want. Right. And that's what a lot of times people think about their cash too, right? I have money in a savings account. I've got a vacation I want to go on, or I'm going to buy a piece of property with it. It's my cash. Why not just take it right out? So when you start thinking differently, though, which we always talk about, it's how you think. Nelson says that. And we said, okay, you, there are actual, when you start thinking about your money as the inventory, like he talks about the cans of peas, always the, the iconic can of peas, it's inventory that has to move. It has to be in motion. And you have to constantly be trying to turn it for profit. So he, he, he gives the example that you sell a can of peas for 60 cents. It costs you 57 to put it back in there. He said, you have to turn this thing 15 times just to break even. Well, in, in this very first part, when he's talking about the can of peas and he's talking about how a grocery store makes money, this is the way banks make money. This is the way all business makes money, right? There's some sort of inventory. Right. If you're a, a realtor, it's the actual house itself. If it's a bank, it's cash. In this example, in the grocery store, it was a can of peas. The goal is not to charge as much as you can for that one item. It's to use that cash flow to go get another one and do that process over and over and over. And if you do it enough times, then you become very profitable, very successful. Extremely profitable. Right. So this is the way money works. He's trying to teach people the process. One, he's talking about profit. What's the markup on goods? And then how should our brains think about it? Because clearly the grocery store uh, owner doesn't make tons of money off selling one can of peas at three cents. Right. But it's that over and over process. We call that the velocity of money, that velocity happening rapidly over time becomes a significant number. No doubt. Now, I'm going to stop you just for a second and back up one second. I think we missed an important piece of his story is the startup phase, right? He's explaining that you don't just go and pop up a tent and all of a sudden start selling groceries overnight. There's a process. You got to find the right location, Right? You can't put a grocery store out in the middle of nowhere and there's no consumers around that will be your customer. Well, why is he talking about that? But is he really trying to teach people how to be grocery store owners? Well, I, I guess not because I missed that on the first time. But but he's talking about the there's a natural time frame that these policies that we're talking about, infinite banking, they're slow to start. We've talked about that. and But he's, he makes that comparison to, well, let's try doing a, a grocery store. You got to find the land. And you can't just buy any old piece of land. It's got to be at a great location. So you're going to pay a high amount of cost to get in the door with that. 
What else? Well, he says also during that process that you're going to have to go uh, find people to to work in it. You're going to have to build a really great building on top of it. Right. You there, can't just skimp on the building. People there, don't want to go in there. Lots of effort. No different than my wife, right? She had to go to a great school. She went to Auburn. I mean, where else could she have went to school that would have been better than that? Can yeah. You yeah, crazy. But in order to become a dentist, <laughs> she had to go to dental school, right? Had to spend another four years in order to get to a point where she could come out and be a dentist. Lots of time, lots of money was spent in order to get to the position where she could actually fulfill that need. Now, the result was high income. Right. So whenever he's talking about this grocery store example, he's using a very simple process, but we know that intuitively as business owners, we it took us a lot of time to get to where we are in, in order to get in our professions. Some of us had to have skills like my wife did and had to go through school for long periods of time, spend lots of money. And some of us are still paying huge student loan debts back because of that. This is very similar to what he's trying to draw this analogy to these insurance policies. for Because everybody else out there, not us, obviously, we know we use these policies on a regular basis. We know that when we start these policies, there's a startup cost. We know that we're we're doing it for the long term, the goal of what these policies are going to produce for us and how we're going to use them. But he's trying to help people who don't know anything about this say, hey, look, this isn't too strange, though. Right. This is just the way business works. Well, yeah, sometimes it's easy to think about our money in an immediate satisfaction kind of phase. And he's trying to draw out that this is really more like starting a business because you are creating a financing function in your life, a banking uh, policy, and it's going to be more like a business than it is just a dollar. Like, okay, because what's one of the biggest objections? Well, I, I don't have access to all my money in year one. No, I don't. I have this conversation on a weekly basis with people. Right. And I'll show how these insurance policies start. And I'll kind of talk about year one. I put a dollar in. Usually I have somewhere between 70 and 85 cents available to me. And I say, all right, so let, let's look at this. Year two, I put a dollar in. I've got about mm, 90 cents. Year three is when these things really become efficient. And it's usually I put a dollar in and have access to a dollar. And I say, all right, I want you to imagine with me for a second. Imagine that I am in a race with Usain Bolt. You know who Usain Bolt is, Joey? He's a runner. <laughs> He's a runner. He's a pretty fast <laughs> runner. That boy run fast. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's like the world-class sprinter, right? He, he fastest man in the world, I think. Well, if Usain Bolt is the insurance policy, and I'm not saying you, the insurance policy runs fast. It's, you know, it's like a super you know, producing machine. But as compared to me <laughs> in my checking account, it is, right? Now, if Usain Bolt gives me a 15, 20-yard head start, just because he's generous. He's generous, yeah. right? That's that's me with my checking account putting a dollar in, getting access to a dollar for the first three years, and the insurance policy putting a dollar in, getting 80 cents, then 90 cents, and then finally a dollar. Okay? Right. But in year four, the insurance policy gets a dollar three. Year five, maybe dollar six. Right. Year dollar seven. You're gain, you're, he's gaining on you. He's gaining on me fairly quick. Now, let your imagination run. At what point is he going to catch me? Fairly certain, fairly, fairly quickly. And when he catches me, the race is over. Am I right? Yeah, there's no competition. It's done. Done. Well, that is what Nelson's showing in this example. And he's saying, look, it, it takes a little startup phase. You could just be the consumer of the groceries, or you could be the consumer and an owner. And if you're both, then you get to consume and you get the profit of the business. Well, think about that the way banks operate, right? They both take deposits and make loans. Well, 
if you start one of these insurance policies, you could be both. And so he's helping us get our brains around the fact that we use things and can be both the owner and the consumer all together. Okay, so let's unpack that a little bit further, because I think that's where we're starting to talk about the the use when he talks about going out the front door or going out the back door. Mm-hmm. And this is where it kind of, I mean, how many people have you asked that question to or heard Nelson ask in conferences and other things he says if you're the owner of this grocery store and you need to go get some groceries for the day which door are you going to feel most likely to go out the back door where you don't have to pay and go past the cash register or out the front door and pay just like everybody else yeah everybody who's riding down the road running on treadmill right now is saying yeah i want to go out the back door i mean don't i deserve that i own it aren't they mine that is the question that made me start paying for dental. <laughs> All right, no, explain what you're ago. saying there. Yeah, say that. Well, I I remember reading this chapter for maybe about the third or fourth time. I was flying back from somewhere, and I I was like, oh piss, um, I, I gotta have to pay for my dental visit the next time I go to Megan's office. Yeah, because otherwise, what are you doing? I'm going out the back door. I'm stealing. Stealing the peas. And, and it, he, he would say this all the time. Like, we didn't get in business. Did you get in business? Did your wife open the dental practice, go through all that school just so that you can have free dental care? No. That, well, would, be, that would be short-sighted. What was the purpose? It was to serve others to make a profit, right? And just like he talks about in this book, uh, on, on these pages within the grocery store example, he says... If you have a captive audience, that's your family members, and they, they got to buy groceries from somewhere, why would they go to anybody else's grocery stores? Don't give it to them for free. For heaven's sake, as he would say, they're, ca- they're captive customers. Charge them more. They charge them 62 cents for that can of peas. You charge everybody else 60. Absolutely. So when I figured this out, I just remember that first time I went up to the front and I told the girl, she was like, oh, okay, good to see you again. I was like, no, I'm, I'm going to pay for my visit. And she's like, uh, no <laughs> Scratching her head. Like, she's not, she, she's not Spanish speaking, she, but she did say like, no comprende. I don't, I don't understand. <laughs> it, it really is just like far-fetched. Like, why would you do that? But here, here's what I figured out is that, yes, the dollars that I gave her meant that she didn't have to go see two or three other patients and take the time and uh, money to replace those supplies she used for me, in essence, work for free for those next two visits. The dollar I gave her went right into the pocket, bought more supplies, give them the ability to, to go do more marketing, hire more employees, and also, in essence, make more profit. There is where we're after. But also there's another important part in here. When he talks about theft, he talks about theft in a business. He says it is a big thing. Oh, it's big. Huge. And he says, now, if the owner is stealing, what is the employees watching the owner doing and how will they react? Oh, they're thinking, well, why why am I any different? Why can't I just take some things out the back door? Why, why don't I get free cleanings? Why don't my family get free cleanings? If they're using these supplies, why don't I get them for free? If you've listened to our show for any length of time, you've heard us talk about infinite banking and how we were able to use that concept to create over $50,000 a month in passive income. But it's just not that easy to figure out how does this all connect into my own personal system? Stallion, that's why we created the Passive Income Operating System, bro. It shows you how to turn active income into passive income. It makes all the steps come together. 
If you would like to get access to it as a podcast listener, we've never given this away in public before. Go to whatswhatwallstreet.com forward slash P-I-O-S. There was nothing worse than walking into class when you're in school and the teacher saying, pop quiz day. Why? Because you were unprepared. Are you unprepared, though, for financial freedom? Don't be. Find out how close you are by taking our 30-second quiz at wealthwithoutwallstreet.com forward slash quiz. Now, I'm going to take it one step further, and I'm going to bring it back to the analogy when he says, when that owner takes one can of peas out the door, he has to sell 20 to replace it. Well, do do the math, right? If he was going to make 60 cents off one can of peas, and he made a three cents profit, right? He's got to sell 20. Has to sell 20 to get back for the one that he stole. All right, so take it from the uh, analogy of a can of peas to something a little bit bigger. I I started thinking about this. This is just like a guy that owns a car dealership, and he goes and he goes and picks out one of the cars. He says, hey, I'm going to drive this home, and this is going to be my car. They got to sell 20 cars. Maybe the bigger ticket item to me has a bigger impact. I don't know. It's still 20 of whatever that thing is that we have to now replace that. That's a lot of work. I mean, think about the manpower, the marketing, like you said, all those things. But then think about really the end result. And you've just experienced this from selling her practice, right? She just sold her practice. Right. And what is the value of each one of those little visits that you did pay for on the tail end of the sale? So explain that. Well, it's hard to, I don't know the. I mean, we can't maybe identify. I don't don't know exactly how it all worked out, but I know that as time went on, not only were we more responsible as a family, as it related to the the time that it took to do a job that, so, you know, I showed up on my, uh, at my visit on time. Cause here's the thing is that you get it for free, you just show it whenever, (laughs) who cares, right? You don't, you, you don't value the time. You don't value the supplies. Those little things, those details, and when the people around you are watching, and they are watching, just like our kids are watching, our employees are watching us as business owners, and the way that we act is very similar to how they see us modeling the behavior that they should be doing as well. And so I, I know that as time went on, her practice continued to get more solid and, and I, I don't know if I can completely attach it to that. I would love to say, looking back, man, I, I think our behaviors, the way that we were working and treating the practice with high value is the reason why we attracted high quality people and had a, what I believe, a very high quality practice. Right. So, I mean, again, if you had two practices side by side, one of them was operating the way you are. One of them was operating, hey, going out the back door. They're not going to have the end result. And I, I'm likening this to, as we've mentioned in, in previous episodes, that the policy, ultimately, if we are honest bankers, if we're not stealing the peas, if we're continuing to use our policy and pay it back with interest, which is, I'm going to bring that to a, a common question or a common issue with infinite banking is, why do I have to pay interest for my own money? This is where we really see the end result is like that rewards credit card. If you don't use that rewards credit card properly, it will go backwards in the value. I mean, just the other day, I'm talking to somebody, he's got a $50,000 balance on a rewards credit card because it gives him $600 of plane plane tickets once a year. Wait a minute. He, He could still get the 600 points, just pay the credit card off. Exactly. But, but he's operating differently than it was intended to be done. Now, who's the beneficiary of the rewards? 
Yeah, that six hundred dollar plane ticket is probably costing like eight grand a year. <laughs> so, so my point is, what's the value of? So, why should I have to pay interest on my own money? Let's talk through that for a second, and I think it has to do with your video you did. Well, so there, there is a kind of how does this apply to me part to this, and that is right when we have cash values and we borrow against those, and we go and do whatever, whether we pay off a debt. We use it for an expense, or hopefully we buy an asset that puts income back in our pocket, right? right? Creating passive income. Yep. When when that happens, that cash flow, instead of just consuming it immediately, assuming we're still in our working years, right? Let's apply that cash flow back to reduce the debt at the insurance company, reduces the lien, gives us more access to cash. And it's something that I say every single week when we're having these meetings on the front end with people is, look, we're not borrowing our money. That is a fallacy. Your money is in the insurance company at work earning interest and dividends for you as if it had never been touched. Day in, day out. You are borrowing the general assets of the insurance company. And they are loaning you that money because they have to put it to work somewhere. And you being a a customer, an owner of the company, somebody that they have a liability to in the form of a uh, death Death benefit, benefit, they gladly give it to you because it requires very little oversight to produce that sort of activity. And in result, a high return as compared to what they would have to do otherwise. So when we use their money, we're paying them interest back. Now, if we pay back at a faster rate, then it's just repaying that loan quicker. We get more access quicker. If we overpay the interest rate the insurance company charges us, then we're going to have to create more capital, right? It's putting more cans of peas on the shelf, whether that's buying new policies or whether that's putting more money into the riders if there's room, depending on how the policy is set up. But that's where it comes back to is we need to think of our money having a cost. And I did a video on this. Yes. And I shared kind of the comparison of you know paying cash versus using a whole life policy. And, and there's a couple of big factors that happen in there. One is taxation. The, the money's growing in our life insurance policies grow without taxes. And that's huge because when we have monies that are subject to taxation outside, not only do we lose that dollar, but we lose what that dollar could have earned for us. But then we get into the compounding interest, right? Because that is the silent but violent, if you will, (laughs) uh, process that helps us be very successful in finance, and that is that constant compounding of interest. And when we keep that money at work, it's allowing that power of compounding to work for our benefit. And we have not borrowed our money. We've borrowed the insurance company money, so we're replacing it. We've got that long growth curve working for us. And then, as Nelson says toward the bottom of this page, he starts re- talking about the, the steam engine. He yeah. starts saying, you know, like if you got, uh, you heat water up to 210 degrees, what do you have? Hot water. You have really hot water. <laughs> but if you just turn it up two degrees more, what do you have? Steam. You have boiling water, which causes steam. And that is the power. And so what he's trying to drive at is that compounding interest over a long period of time, that impact of doing a process, paying yourself back, using this system, not, you know, not, not stealing from yourself, not thinking short-sighted like, oh, I'm going to go ahead and put a dollar in my account and get a dollar instead of doing this other where I put a dollar in and only get 80 cents. Not being short-sighted, but thinking long-term, when that thing hits 212, 
when it when it gets to that efficiency point and it starts spitting out a dollar three, dollar four, dollar five. Oh, game on. Imagination kicks in. You go, man. What could I do with that? If every rental property costs a one unit and I put in a dollar and I get one point oh three units, I might I'm buying more units than the guy next to me. Absolutely. And and you start thinking in that way, you go, ooh, that's that steam. It's starting to work and now it becomes super beneficial to us. No doubt. So I think there's some practical steps here that Nelson outlines in this, some takeaways that I feel like are are applicable here. So the first one you just mentioned is think long range. Nelson, 100% of the time, that's where he always says, you must capitalize a system. You can't start that grocery store tomorrow and expect it to be profitable right out of the gate. You have to do the work. You have to go through the startup phase and capitalize that thing this happens to be way easier and faster than actually starting a, a brick and mortar grocery store. I can well, assure you. But insurance companies have already gone through the process of building out everything. When we started insurance policy, we start from scratch, but not like from real scratch, right? They've already got all of this stuff in motion. We're they got kinda, the structure there. We're, we're plugging in to this one thing. So yes, don't be afraid to capitalize it. Have you ever had somebody say, man, this business has way too much money in it? <laughs> No, I mean, but businesses don't fail because they have too much capital. They fail. Why? Because they don't have enough. They don't have enough. So, you know, you and I are not in the business of telling people how much money they should put into their policies because it really, at the end of the day, how much you want to use and how, how often you use it is up to you. But never be afraid to put money in because this is money that you can utilize for yourself. The second thing he says, right is, alongside that, <laughs> yeah, is, is make sure you're stocking those shelves and stocking those gondola, having plenty of money in it, and and having that money available to us so that we can go put it to work for us. All right, so explain what you mean there. So he's talking about having peas on the shelf, yeah, but we're talking about having money on the shelf. So this to me, it, let's let's think about like a picture here. Would you rather, when it comes to having capital for your financing business, you're in the banking business now, would you rather be the convenience store where you're up in the mountains visiting your family or whatever and you go to the store, you're just trying to get something and they have like two options for, you know, spam. Or Pop-Tarts. <laughs> Pop-Tarts. <laughs> would you rather be on that side of the business with two gondolas, let's say, or a Publix, a Western, you know, Winn-Dixie, whatever, when they've got 45 of these things. Well, yeah, I mean, we get, we've we all been there, right? We've been in the mountains, and we've had to stop by the little JR food store, and we've picked up that $9 <laughs> box of Pop-Tarts for breakfast. <laughs> but if we lived there, we would we would continue on down to, to the grocery store, and that's kind of what we're saying is that we need to make sure we're stocking the shelves, we're not afraid to put money in, that we're having a big enough supply for the demand that we're going to have. Because as I started looking at my life, and I know, you know, you're a perfect example of this. Whenever we first started your banking system, what we we started with like a two thousand dollar a month policy. Yeah. That's all I really could see at the time. I was like, okay, well let's just get started with this. Two thousand that's all I think I could do. was that all the demand that you had for for uh, money? No. Immediately there was higher demand. And, you know, within the first year I started three policies. Well, when we start thinking about that, we think about how much money comes in our hands, but we only get to hold on to a very small fraction of that. The rest of it's floating away from us. And what he's saying is that if you could build a system that it stocked the shelves where there's enough of it back there so when you need to come back, you can get it, then now you got a business that's 
uh, flourishing. Absolutely. So think long range. Don't be afraid to stock the shelves. That's expanding your system. Think about that as multiple policies. And we've done um, numerous type of podcasts on that subject. The third is don't steal the piece. Right. Don't be afraid to pay yourself back accordingly. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually parlay this even into one of the big questions. And when he talks about having that captive audience, right, your family members, a captive audience, when it comes to your grocery store, in this case, I'm talking about from a banking standpoint. How many times have we said, you know what, you should charge your son or daughter, or your parents or whatever, more than what they would charge at a bank for the same loan? Like, hey, my kid needs a car loan, and it's going to be 4.9% at the bank. You should charge them 8 Yeah. Whoa, wait a minute. People get kind of angry when you say that. Well, I just was having a conversation <laughs> before we came into the podcast I was just about this very thing where the person was asking me, hey, like, I'm just trying to figure out where can I put my cash? You know, I just, you know, I want to, I want to put it to work. I want to be a good steward of it. And I said, well, does your daughter, I know the person's daughter uh, just is finishing up uh, the medical residency program. And I was like, do they happen to have any student loans? <laughs> like, yeah. Shocker. I said, do you think any of them are like 5 6 7%? Well, sure. I was like, could we not take our cash, pay off those student loans, and let them pay us back? And it was like light bulbs went off. Like, ding, ding, ding. ding. It's like, oh, yeah, that – that makes perfect sense. And I said, how much risk is involved in that? If they're going to come out, they're going to ha- have a, a salaried position within the hospital making a couple hundred thousand dollars a year. Good cash flow, right? Yeah. I, they're going to pay you. Now, like you said, why don't we charge a higher rate of interest? Because right now, if they pay interest on those notes, how much of that money will they ever get back that they sent to the uh, student loan company. I'm not thinking they're in a hurry to send it back to them. And they're not going to get any of it back. Zero. I said, but now any money that they give you that you don't spend, they're going to be a benefactor, aren't they? That's right. So why wouldn't we want to operate under that premise? People think about trying to pay the lowest rate on on notes because they don't think of it ever coming back to them. But yet if they knew they were going to get back some of the money, they wouldn't have probably any problem doing that. It would just be a, another type of savings. That's a game-changing way of thinking right there. So write that down. That is an awesome, awesome thought. Right, so the, so the process is think long range. That's right. Step two, don't be afraid to capitalize. Make sure you have put plenty of peas on the shelf, plenty of cash in there. And third, when you use the money, don't steal it. Put the money back. Create right. a process, a plan to get it back into the account. That's right. So you're you're thinking about this. You've been kind of with us on this book review. Maybe you've read the book numerous times and you're like, you know what? I need to get this implemented. All the time, you know you can get us at our free call it's freecall.wealthwithoutwallstreet.com. You can go on our website, schedule a call with us. We're happy to do it. It's 15 minutes, no obligation. We'd love to help you implement this. Secondly, if you're just not ready, you want to learn more, go download the video. The video that Russ is talking about, the true cost of paying cash. If you're just like, okay, this sounds like too good to be true. I want to see this actual numbers. You're going to have the fill of your numbers in that video. Because at the end of the day, this is about you having the best business that you can have. Isn't that what we're after? We want the best business that we can have. And if it causes you to change a little bit of how about your do what you're doing, isn't it worth it? And compared to what? That always comes back to compared to what? If I'm paying cash for things and I'm giving up interest that the money could have been earning, 
instead of having my money compound for me uninterrupted, how much better off will I be? So this is a great concept, again, to not only learn for yourself, but if you have kids, spend time with them. Talk to them about the grocery store example. There's probably some ways that they can think about money differently when they assign a cost to what they use and they replenish. So it's sort of like in my house is, okay, man, we, we made we made dinner, but there's still there there's dishes that gotta get washed. They gotta be put back, right? Because <laughs> if we don't put them back, what will we use for the next time? That's right. And and this is the same sort of thing. If we spend money and we don't put it back, what will we use for the next time? That's right. We gotta put the peas back on the shelf. That's right. All right. Well thank you so much for listening to another episode as we broke down the grocery store example, this was a part three. We're going to dive into the next one uh, in our next edition, and we'll love to talk to you at that point in time. This has been the Wealth Without Wall Street podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show to break free of the Wall Street mindset and begin building wealth on your own terms in places you understand so that your wealth will never run dry. See you next episode.